Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to 755 Forever. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer at The Athletic with my co-host, former Braves reliever Eric O'Flaherty. What's happening, Eric? What's up, Dave? Not much, man. We had uh, the Braves Fest on Saturday, and despite it being dreary, it was chilly and rain buckets for most of the day. They still had over 50,000 people there. I mean, 15 years ago, there would have been 10,000 people maybe for that, especially in that kind of weather. 50,000 is a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was crappy weather, man. It was bad. And they still came out. They were lined. When it got there, it wasn't raining in the morning, thankfully, because the line was like the length of the stadium, practically. I mean, it was long to get in at 930, but it didn't start raining until, you know, an hour later, but it didn't stop once it started. So I don't even remember if they did Fan Fest when I was there. I think it started while you were here, hit and miss. You know, they did it for uh, a few years, then they stopped. And now they're doing it again, and then the pandemic wiped it out for a couple of years, but now they're doing it again each year. They stopped the caravan. You remember they used to do the caravan every year that without fail? That's what I did. They don't do that anymore, and that used to be a big thing because, you know, Braves country to go all over the South, but uh, I think they just realized, you know, especially when you start to get a team with a higher payroll, guys making real money, and you're winning every year and you're selling out. It's not as big a deal, I don't think. You know, it's such an inconvenience to bring guys in just for that, have them go around, going around to uh, neighboring states for a few days or for, you know, that thing goes on for like two weeks. You don't go for the whole thing, but guys would come for a few days at a time. And, you know, at the time they were trying to sell tickets and get ratings. I mean, they have tickets are all sold now. I mean, they sell out more than half the games and ratings are through the roof. So I guess that's kind of. It's just not a big deal like it. And, and I, I don't think it's as big a deal with a lot of teams as it used to be, those caravan type things. Yeah, I used to love them when I was young because you got paid. So, you know, it's like $1,000 a day. Like, I'll stay for the whole two weeks. You're not making that much when you're young. But the older guys, you know, they'd get the convenient trip. You know, if you're in Seattle, they'd be doing the Tacoma run. I was all over the state. You know, we're going to Yakima, back home to Walla Walla. It's a full day thing staying. And with Atlanta, at least they were able to do everything within a couple hours. So it was just a couple stops in a day. But I don't think they paid you quite as much. They went over to uh, Alabama. They went to Tennessee. They went to Mississippi. And I think they even dipped a couple times down in the northern Florida. They went a little further at times. But for the most part, it was in the Georgia area. And then they got a sponsorship with uh, one of the sporting goods companies. So it was all to those you know, sporting goods stores. And it's no more. It hasn't been for a while. And a lot of time, a lot, kind of like uh, people working remotely in office buildings, the pandemic stopped so much. And a lot of stuff didn't go back to the way it was because companies and teams decided, uh, I don't really know that it's worth doing that anymore. So that was kind of a convenient way to stop it, you know? 
and then you just don't restart it and people don't notice as much as they do if you just stop it because you want to stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you got social media now. You know, it's, it yeah. used to be. That's the other thing. Yeah. You couldn't get these, you know, like the stuff we posted the other day on the podcast, this in-person type of stuff. It was really hard to get in the off season. Very true. And I also think, you know, if you're trying to bribe Acuna with a hundred or with a thousand dollars a day to, to go somewhere, it's like he doesn't need it that bad. But if it's at the stadium, you can get a lot more guys to turn out and, and spend a couple nights in Atlanta. Right. And also they didn't used to have this gala before FanFest. And now the gala is a big deal for all their A-list fans and others. So they bring in all the players, put them up at the Omni right next door. So they spend that money right there, more money than they would have spent on the caravan and kind of rewarding people. It's an incentive to sell tickets and it works. All these incentives they have to sell tickets work. And they probably realize, you know, that's probably selling more tickets, especially high price tickets than taking a caravan over to Tennessee or Alabama, you know? Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time I sat down at one of those, um, luncheons because we used to do a preseason luncheon type thing everybody's there to see chipper and the stars (laughs) and i sat down at a table and i hated those things the whole time you basically just get asked questions about your teammates nobody really cares about a reliever and i sat down at a table uh comcast table and everybody was like a big wig or some kind of exec or big job at comcast and i sit down and i don't think they saw me get introduced or walked off the stage so the, the first question I got asked was, they were like, what do you do for Comcast? They thought I just worked for Comcast. And I was like, shit, this is my window to just lay low and enjoy my lunch. And I, I said sales. And they just looked at me all like, how'd this plebe get to our table? You know, because we're all, we have these big jobs and, and they put a sales rep at, at the Comcast That's hilarious. Table. Nobody talked to me for the rest of the luncheon. I just that ate my is, food and got to leave. That's hilarious, man. <laughs> so then when the season started, they're at the game and they're looking out going, oh my God, I feel like an idiot. You're out there pitching? I bet you they never put it together. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Fan Fest, or Braves Fest, they call it now. Despite the weather, it was a hit. I mean, they do a bunch of really cool shit with having guys talk to, they have like uh, Darno and Spencer Strider and they're sitting like, they have like an infield discussion and fans get to ask questions. So it's really cool for those fans that, you know, the well-heeled fans or the fans that, you know, spend a lot of their money on tickets, even if they're not well-heeled, they spend a good portion of their money on tickets, reward them with this access to players. And it's got to be pretty cool. They get pictures with players, autographs, all that. So, but, um. We wait in the interview room, meanwhile, watching college basketball between interviews, and they bring in the players. They bring in about 10 players in Snitker, and it's really the first time we get to talk to a lot of these guys since the end of, you know, since that night in Philly when they lost game four, because they all go their separate ways, as you know. We didn't have a locker clearing out thing where we went up there this year. We just did it over Zoom. Another one of those things has changed since the pandemic. So really, we hadn't talked to these players, a lot of them. And, and so they've had time to reflect for three and a half months on how it ended and all that. We got some pretty good answers, some pretty good discussion with some players, especially like Spencer Strider had been so outspoken about the team's got to look at how they do prepare for the postseason because it ain't working. Maybe some of the things you, that worked during a season for 162 that worked so well for the Braves – better than any other team in recent years, except the Dodgers maybe. But maybe some of those things you have to discard for the postseason, it no longer is necessary or doesn't work. Like pacing yourselves and never getting, you know, no sense of urgency or getting panicked. There needs to be a sense of urgency. And I've I've long said that because I thought the Braves under Bobby Cox, 
used to go into the postseason after clinching so early and try to flip a switch. And they didn't have that sense of urgency. Next thing you know, they're down a game or two in a, po- in a series. And sometimes that's how it ended for them. They couldn't get it back. Well, I think you have to figure out what works for you. Because for me personally, the less I admitted the game mattered to me, the better I performed. And I think more than anything, you know, you have to think about they were comfy the whole year. They had a comfy lead. And then maybe they get to the postseason and it's like, oh, shit, the urgency affects them because they're not used to playing with it. So I go back and forth on this. What would be the best for the team? Because when you get down early in a series or something like that, now you're playing games that you have to win versus where they were at the whole season. If they lost the game, not a single individual game mattered or changed their projections because they were so comfy the whole year. So I've really I've gone back and forth and thought about it. And it's hard to just disregard the regular season and say it's not a big deal. But when you look at their big picture now, it's like they're going to be in the playoffs, but the whole season is going to come down to that postseason. And what do you change and what do you tweak to to try to change that outcome of losing the Phillies two years in a row? And I don't really have a solid answer. And I don't know as many guys on the team as I used to. So I don't know what it was like in that clubhouse last postseason, but I don't really have an answer for it, but they have to. They have to change something. If you look at it, the Braves, when they had to chase down the Mets, when they were 10 and a half games down at the end of May, a couple of years ago, that year, they expended so much energy catching the Mets. You know, it was like every game did matter. You know, every series did matter because they couldn't fall behind. They had to catch the Mets and they whittled it away and they played terrific baseball for a long stretch and caught the Mets. Then they had that series that felt like a playoff series, felt more like a playoff series against the Mets than the actual first round did, really. That series uh, at uh, Truist Park where they swept the Mets and they had Scherzer and DeGrom pitching and the Braves won. And they basically clinched that night. They only had to win one more game against the Marlins that next following series. So that was a case where it peaked on that Sunday night in that series. Then they had to go play three against the Marlins. Then they had the first round bye. So they really almost had a week where before it mattered again, then they had to try to flip a switch and get going. It didn't work. And they had injuries as well. They had the freed uh, sickness where he lost 15 pounds. And they had uh, Strider coming back. He was coming back from the side strain. He wasn't sharp. So you had mitigating factors. And then this year, it's the opposite. Like you said, they were in control of the race the whole way. But once again, down the stretch, you had Freed got hurt again. So he was rusty. I mean, he wasn't himself when the postseason started. He missed, he only made, what, seven starts this year? Something like that? He had two long stints, one long stint on the end, on the IL for the forearm strain that we, for a while, we feared might need surgery, but didn't. But uh, he wasn't sharp in the postseason. He had the blister. Remember, he had the blister and he had to miss a start at the end of the year. Then he had to come back from the blister, pitching those exhibition games to make sure it was okay, pitching one of those. So he wasn't himself. And you had Charlie, had the ligament, finger ligament injury, didn't miss the series, he missed the series altogether. And Bryce Elder, they would not have pitched him if they didn't have to. But with Charlie out, they decided to pitch Bryce Elder. Well, he was on fumes after the All-Star break for the entire, for three months. That just continued. All of this against a Phillies team that was the total opposite that came out. They were on fire. They had like three or four guys that were just raking. And when I say sense of urgency, I mean more like the excitement that the Phillies had, that edge that they had. They came out fired up, especially at their place, but also at, at uh, Truist Park where the series Braves had home field advantage. But the Phillies came out, man, raking. And they had Wheeler going, you know, he pitched his ass off again in the postseason. They had both of their aces going. And uh, 
All three of their starters really had pitched great in that postseason series. And their hitters, I mean, they had three guys with Bryce and Castellanos and Trey Turner that just destroyed the Braves. The Braves had two guys did anything offensively, Riley and Darno. So all the records the Braves set during the regular season, all that, just out the window, they got four extra base hits and scored eight runs in four games. You look at the series and you're like, it couldn't have gone worse. Right. And the lull didn't help again, even though they played the exhibition games, they realized in retrospect, it wasn't the same. So they got to figure it out next year when they're in the same spot, which they're probably going to be, they're going to have a buy probably, you know, you could argue that, Hey, they shouldn't try to win the division. But when you start yeah, trying to get cute risky. like that, yes. <laughs> when you try to rest guys, you know, we only need to win 92 games, get in as a wild card. Next thing you know, some other team's going to come from behind you, surprise your ass. And you're not going to, not even going to make it, you know, or you're going to have to play a wild card. That's not even a thought that's crossed no. anybody's mind. It, you have no, to. Yeah. Fans might talk about it online and wonder, but that will never cross the minds of Snitker or any anybody else in the Braves organization. But yeah, I mean, you do that, try to be cute. And what do you have? You end up having a nasty wild card matchup where you got to win two out of three. <laughs> and then you got to go into the division series. And if you have already had pitching death problems like they had a year ago, can you imagine what they would have done in a division series? If they couldn't even have had Strider going in the first couple of games. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, there's definitely an edge to, there's an advantage in, in my mind to play in that wild card series if you win it, obviously. But I don't think it matters how long you've been playing the game. That playoff energy is just different. And I think it just takes a game or two, definitely one, you know, definitely one game, but that could be the game that decides a series. Definitely one game just to, adjust to that atmosphere and be able to keep yourself calm like when i pitched in that wild card game in 2012 it was like i'd never thrown a baseball before in my life seriously i was confident i knew i could do it but i just had this level of adrenaline that i hadn't i hadn't experienced the whole season because i'd been in the big leagues long enough that whatever situation you threw me in during the regular season i was confident i could get it done and stay calm and was able to control everything in the regular season because i've been there so many times but then the wildcard game happened, and that crowd from the first pitch that Medlin threw was just erupting. And it was just, you could slowly feel that energy building. It wasn't like I wasn't prepared mentally. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what I was going to feel, but I had so much adrenaline. It was like the only thing comparable was my major league debut. And I think no matter how long you've been playing, I think a lot of guys still experience that, and it's a different way to play. It's, it's hard to channel it. Max Fried said the first time he pitched at Dodger Stadium in a playoff game, that he was starting all year and they came, brought him out of the bullpen and he went out there. He said he couldn't feel his legs when he went out to the mound. He couldn't feel his legs. So I think ideally you play till the end of the season. You don't have to come 10 games back, but you're neck and neck with another team till the end of the year. So you have to play all the way through. You don't decide until that last week, maybe the last series. So you still have to play hard all the way through. Then you have that break. Think it'd be a little easier to take than it was this year. The Braves just had too long a stretch in games that did not matter. You know, all they were doing was going for records, you know, 40, 70 for Acuna, that kind of thing. They said, yeah, we still have a lot to play for, but that's different playing for that than it is having to win games. So I think ideally you want to be pushed till the end. You know, if you have to play that wild card series, you better have pitching depth, which the Braves have more of this year, but you also could have injuries like you've had the last two years. So that's where you really could get screwed. I mean, the Phillies have been able to get through that wild card round. Also helped this year. Remember, they had the extra day built into the division series. So they game one, then a day off, then game two, then a day off. That helped the Phillies too this year because they'd only had they used their studs, even though they had played in the wild card series. 
Yeah, and I think more than anything, any day could be a bad day for your offense, and it's not that they're choking. or it, I mean, you've run into Wheeler, good luck. I think more than anything, you need your starters to be at their best for those games. I mean, that's, that's what it's come down to. The offense had only a couple of series all year where they played like that. It just happened to come in the worst time against a team that played out of its mind in front of a home crowd that is the best in baseball right now for postseason. Truist is great. Dodger Stadium is great. Houston's great. But Philly right now is at another level in the postseason. And they fed off of it. They sync up with the attitude of those players so well. Absolutely fed off of it. The Braves lost that game one. They won game two, which they had to win. But still, if they'd have come out and won game one, if you could have taken the first two games here, might have been different. If Freed had been at 100%. But there's a lot of ifs. Anyway, my takeaway from the uh, Braves Fest was I asked Strider, so – Last time we talked to you, you said that you got to look at some things. You guys have got to consider how you – and I said – he said, that's all I thought about in offseason. It's all we talked about when he talked to players one-on-one, group sessions. Some guys worked out together in Atlanta. They text and all that. He said, we talked about it all the time. And I asked him, did you guys come up with some things? He goes, absolutely. And one of the things he named – we're going to get into these Q&A because this is supposed to be a Q&A show, but some of the questions were about what the Braves can do differently. And Strider addressed this one thing he said that, and I thought he was a good answer, even though people might say, you know, that's nothing tangible. It really is, though. He talked about rhetoric. You know, rhetoric is one, you know, especially where we clinched so early in September. I think just changing the the way we talk and the the goals we set and what we verbalize into existence, you know, that's going to be important for us. How tough it's going to be, or they lose, get behind game one, or how good the Phillies are playing. The rhetoric. He said they've got to change that, control the rhetoric. And I understood exactly what he was talking about. So, because so many things were being talked about, other than the Braves, uh, you know, won 104 games and the best team in the National League this year, there was a lot of things talked about going into that series about, yeah, but once again, they go in sputtering, the pitching's hurt, the bullpen's on fumes, you know, yeah, what's going to happen? All this, the Phillies are hot again. So, there was a lot of things talked about. And then they allowed things to get talked about to distract from them during the series. And I'm th- he didn't name anything, but I'm specifically thinking of the RC comment that got blown all out of proportion. Did it help Bryce Harper? Who knows? But people that know Bryce Harper knows that he's one of those guys that feeds off that stuff. He had a great series anyway, but he had two home runs in the next game after that comment was made public and he stared down Arcia while he's crossing second base. Not only that, but the whole team and crowd fed off of it. I mean, they were going nuts even to a higher pitch after that. So Little stuff like that you can control. You can avoid those little things like that, whatever that contributed. There's certain things that even if you don't really believe, if you just keep saying and hearing your teammates repeat, you start to believe it, you know, and, and it can go both ways. Yeah. Talking about, you know, hey, look at, look at, there was anything could happen during the season. You know, look at, we lost a series at Oakland, right? They lost a series at Oakland when Oakland was on pace that time, at that point to lose like 130 games. Braves went out there and lost a series to them. When guys start mentioning things like, hey, you never know what's going to happen, man. We lost a series at Oakland. That kind of thing. No, don't even talk about that. <laughs> don't even allow yourself to think about that. They should have just been like, had swagger. Yeah, we don't have Charlie. So what, man? Look at this offense we got. You know, just going into the postseason full of confidence. We'll just pound teams into submission. If we have to win 8-9 we, or 9-8, we will. Yeah, and you just, you, you're around guys that can say that stuff and they believe it. <laughs> it's hard to say these confident statements out loud. I always thought the guys that would say stuff like I'm hitting 30 home runs this year. I thought it was so bold because I'm like, mm. sometimes you say these things and then it looks kind of backfires on you. And you know what? I think that is the spot 
where, I mean, you could poo-poo it or whatever if, if you want, but that is the spot where Jock Peterson could have really come in handy because Jock Peterson is the guy that went to Milwaukee when the brace took the lead up there and said, you know what, we just might be the, we might be those motherfuckers, you know? And guess what? We are those motherfuckers! He was the only guy that would come out and say something like that not even care how it was taken. Just like yeah. big balls going to come out with swagger. And this then go is who deep. we are. And then they backed it up. They didn't have anybody that would make a comment like that this year. And nobody can force that. You either have it or you don't. He had it. Josh Donaldson had that. Absolutely had that. They got a guy now that has that. Even if he's a starting pitcher, Chris Sale is that guy. And I think that's going to be big. If Chris Sale's healthy and he's pitching when the postseason begins – he can be that guy, even though he's a starting pitcher. He has balls. I mean, he's he's one of those dudes you want on your team. If you're somewhere, he he will fight the guy. <laughs> he's that type. And it they're good to be around. They're good to have. And it rubs off on you. And having Matzik back is huge, too. They didn't have Matzik last year. In that postseason, Matzik was, when they won the World Series, he was the other guy. Besides Jock Peterson, Matzik was the guy on the pitching staff that had those <laughs> big balls man i mean when he went out there and struck out the side and was pumping i mean he got people fired up and he would he didn't mind saying com- making comments too and the other relievers would too because of what he would say they'd say something mentor would jump in too mentor would chime in mentor would chime in he'll say stuff too like that but matzik was really uh another guy that had that edge and having him back is gonna be big too he's gonna be back from day one so i like the fact that they've got a couple of those guys now on the pitching staff, but it doesn't matter. If they have them, they have them. And Sale is a, such a big personality that that's going to permeate the whole clubhouse. It doesn't matter if he just pitches every five days. That's a big personality. Yeah, it's it's an it factor. that I mean, I think you see a lot of teams that have these great regular seasons that come up short, and there's just, just an it factor. You can't say Castellanos didn't have that last year. <laughs> Absolutely. And Bryce Harper, they had two guys with that. And Trey Turner, too. He was quiet, but he has the same kind of that Swagger on the field, man. But yeah, Castellanos and Bryce Harper, they both, they had it in spades, man. And the Braves did not have an answer for that in, a, in that series. It's got to change, but I, I think they're in a good position to change it. Yeah, they're, and they're aware of it is the thing. They're aware of, they didn't just use the old excuse of, most of them didn't just say, it's random, there's nothing we could do differently. We wouldn't do anything differently. Nobody said that, thank God. You know, a couple of guys did say, hey, it's the team that gets hot. It's random, which it is. You know, guy like Darno said that. He's right. It is a team that gets hot. I just think you can maybe do something to maybe be that team, give yourself a little more of a chance to be that team. But we'll see. But uh, Strider said that, and Murphy said the same thing. Murphy, Sean Murphy, Mr. Quiet. He said, You know, it could be randomness, but uh, I also think maybe there could be some adjustments made by guys to you know, maybe increase urgency. I don't, again, I don't know. You know, we'll see. Hopefully put ourselves in a situation where I see. Sean Murphy said that. And I was like, yeah, coming from him, coming from him, a guy that doesn't say a lot of things like that, to me, that uh, struck a chord. Yeah, I'm with him. (laughs) It was obvious that there are enough guys talking about it that they will be talking about it at spring and all throughout the season, and especially when the postseason comes around again. They will not allow themselves to go in again, not with a sense of urgency, regardless of who they play and what kind of shape they're in. I would be shocked if this team came out flat again in the postseason series. It really would. Here we go. Let's do some of these questions real quick. This is from Justin. He said, love the podcast, fellas, and insights you bring. Do you think the AA extension, Alex Anthopoulos, extension will change his approach at all? For example, will he be more willing to take risks? 
I don't think it changes anything, and he's and he's willing to take risk anyway. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as a contract status affecting a single move he's made up to this point or from here on forward. He had all that job security anyway, even though before he got the extension, he knew he's going to be here as long as he wants to be. And I'm sure they have told him that in so many words. He made all of the moves he made for to win now, but also for sustained success. And I don't think that's going to change at all. And if he takes a risk now, it won't be because of the contract extension. It'll be because they have guys locked up long-term at every spot on the diamond now with Kelnick in left field. Literally every spot on the diamond. They have guys locked up for multiple years, anywhere from three to six, seven years. So that'll be the reason that uh, if he makes a, a, some daring, some risky moves, it'll be because they can afford to. To fill in, say, with a one-year big deal for a starting pitcher or something for forty million or something crazy, you know, like it did with Josh Donaldson that year for the one-year deal. So that'll be more about that than anything. Yeah, I mean, it kind of be similar to like if a starting pitcher won a Cy Young three years in a row and signed a hundred million dollar deal. You're like, think he's going to make a new make up a new pitch now? It's going so well. I don't see why he would change anything. I can't imagine a better run for a GM, at least not that I've seen in my lifetime, than what he's done. So why would you change anything regardless of your contract status? I would agree with that. I would agree with, I mean, there's been teams that like the Giants won three World Series in five years. So it's tough to argue with that. But when you look where the Braves came from, where they thought everybody thought they were going to be in so much trouble for several years to come with all those suspensions and they couldn't do anything in international free agency for like three or four years. When you look at where they came from, when he took over, after Copy got banned for life, they've won a division title every year since then and won the first World Series since 95 and won over 100 games. Won over 100 games each of the last two years. This is from Jay Reeves. It says, if you guys had your pick, who would you get for a right-handed bat to round out the bench? Would you aim higher than Pilar or would you guys see him as a good fit? I think he's a good fit because there are so few guys who understand that role that are accept that role where you might not hit, especially with uh, DH, universal DH. Used to those guys could count on hitting basically every game with the, when you had to pinch hit for the pitcher. But now you might go, if you're him, you might go a week without not without seeing the diamond, without literally getting a, a, an at-bat. There are very few guys that can step up and perform in, that, in those uh, situations. And I like Pilar. Sure, there's some better hitters than him, but I think his ability to perform in that situation and big, big plus – in the clubhouse. They love him. They love that guy. He was a really positive, upbeat guy. And I thought uh, that's big and with the Braves, the chemistry, obviously. So if he was the guy, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. There's always somebody out there you're not thinking about that somebody that gets that has an opt out at the end of spring training, you know, because he's not going to make the opening day roster that becomes available. So, but yeah, if they were to sign Pilar in the next couple of weeks, I, I think that would be a good move. I mean, obviously Kelnick, they're going to let him give him every opportunity to play every day. But if he struggles, you're going to need that platoon bat probably. Yeah, there might be some times where there's a tough lefty that doesn't match up with him well and you, you want another bat. But I really admire the guys. Eric Hinsky used to always talk about this because Hinsky was either rookie of the year or runner up. And he had this trajectory where he was going to be a star. And Pilar is a damn good player, great athlete, had kind of a similar thing, you know, early in his career. The guys that are able to put their ego aside and accept where I'm at in the game now and fully embrace it are the only guys that thrive in that role. So anybody that does, I can tell that they have the right mentality. Per good things about him in the clubhouse, he already meshes with the team. I'd keep it the same. 
And don't forget, they just traded last week for J.P. Martinez from the Rangers. Another really astute move by Alex Anthopoulos. He traded from a position of strength. They've got Now they've got some minor league pitching depth. He's done it a few times this offseason, traded some minor league pitchers that really didn't uh, project to be uh, factors for the Braves at all this year or in the next couple of years. So what do you do? You trade from a position of strength. They trade Tyler Owens, who was a 13th round draft pick for J.P. Martinez, a guy who once had like a $2.8 million signing bonus coming from Cuba. This is a guy that can play. If you look at his numbers in AAA last year, he was a minor league all-star for all classifications. And an older guy debuted last year with the Rangers, relatively older. That could be a guy that, and he's on the 40, so he's going to get a chance to win a spot. And that, and he can play all three outfield positions, strong defense. That's huge. That's really big. Pilar can play all three too, but not at the level this guy can play him. So that's big. So I wouldn't surprise me at all if this guy were to make the team. And I think he'll add one or two more, a uh, Pilar, somebody else like that. Because last year they had like four or five of those guys at camp and it made for some good competition. Yeah, and somebody always clicks. Yeah. I mean, if some other major league team offers Pilar a major league contract, he's obviously going to take that over, you know, a chance to come here and have to win a spot again. I mean, I kind of don't blame him, but he loves it here. And he went on, I think it was a good sign when he went on vacation, uh, how much they liked him. He went on to St. Lucia, but like like six or seven Braves couples went to St. Lucia this winter. He and his wife were with him. They were one of the couples. And then uh, Austin Riley went out and played at Pebble Beach with his dad, his father-in-law, his brother-in-law uh, this winter, like a few weeks ago, I think. Played at Pebble Beach, and Pilar was out there and played too with him. So, again, I asked Austin and those guys, and they said they love Pilar. Great clubhouse guy, understood the game, has been around a lot. So, you know, I got to I got to be a big fan of, of KP. So um, there's still some time left. We'll never know. If you don't like a dude. Yeah. <laughs> Once the season's over, it's like, okay. You're... <laughs> you could live two miles away from me and you're not seeing me in the offseason. <laughs> exactly. Much less, uh, let alone take them to St. Lucia with all these couples, you know? We're going to find a way to... Your invite's going to get lost in the mail. (laughs) This is from Jason King. With the moves the Dodgers made, do you think the Braves stand a better chance in re-signing Max? The Dodgers seem now to have a full rotation in 2025 with Shohei Otani coming back. So they might not be willing to break the bank for Freed now, and AA knows how important he is to the team. I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand. I think there's something to that. I don't know that it increased the Braves' chances, but I do think it probably decreases the chances the Dodgers sign him because if he has a really good year, he's going to get $25 million or more a year, I think, even though it would be 30 Yeah, If you look at some of the contracts that have just been handed out, I think he falls in that five-year, $25 million a year range right now. He's going to be one of the best five starters, best three maybe, coming available next year if he has a normal Max Freed year. He's going to get $25 to $30 million a year if he has a normal Max Freed year. And I don't know that the Dodgers are going to want to add another $25 million pitcher when they've just got the two this year and they got Otani coming off. You know, he's going to just hit this year, but then he's going to be pitching and they're going to be, I mean, that's, they got a lot of money tied up in their current roster. They might want to spend, they might need to spend that to fill in some other gaps. So I think there's something to that. I really do. I don't know if it increases the Braves chances, but um, if you take the Dodgers out of the equation, that in and of itself might increase the Braves chances. The pull of, uh, you know, going back to, I don't know how much he wants to pitch back at home. He hasn't indicated that he does, but I know he's an L.A. guy. But I think it also says something about him 
that he stayed here a lot of the time this winter and worked out here in Atlanta with other guys, went to a few Hawks games, you know? I mean, he could have just gone to L.A. and spent three months out there working out in the warmth, and he didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to what we talked about, that $22 million limit that seems like it's there. If he has a good year, he's getting more than that. And if he still hasn't signed an extension, I don't know what they've offered him or, or what it is because pitchers are a little riskier. You know, Strider got one, but he's young. Exactly. He hadn't done it with older guys. If he has a good year, then he has to take a discount to stay. Unless they give him six years, and Alex also has not been inclined to give pitchers long deals either. Especially in their 30s. Right. Exactly. That's very risky. Very risky. Guy's already had TJ, blisters, all that kind of thing. It's really hard for me to imagine him having a good year and coming back. And that's not on Max. You know, that's that's just, it doesn't sync up and it's, it's part of the game. It's business. Guys like, I think Max strikes me as a guy too that's looking at his contract affects other players because it's not always greed. Exactly. He's a union guy. He's the union rep now. Okay. So there you go. That's a big part of it is if Max Fried signs for $20 million a year and some other lefty similar comes along two years later, Max set the bar. That's how players look at it. It, it kind of gets twisted into them being selfish and greedy and wanting the most money, but they're actually thinking about other guys and, and trying to get all the players the best contracts they can. I think the best opportunity or the best chance of the Braves re-signing Max is that right now they make him an offer. They could go with their $22 million ceiling if they want, and Max looks at it as, Okay, like we just said, the Dodgers might not necessarily want to get another contract next year. And right now, coming off the injury season that he had, if the Braves make him an offer now, say five years, $22 million a year. Okay, just to use that $22 million figure. Max might go, okay, if I sign this, I don't have to worry if, again, what happened last year happens again. Or if the forearm strain that we've briefly worried might be another Tommy John. He won't have to worry about that. Whereas if he has that again this year, another forearm strain, he's going to end up signing a one-year deal next year probably to reestablish his value. Then he'll be 31 and have to do it again. So he might look at it as, and be able to justify that to the union too, if they do it now as opposed to midseason if he's having a Max Freed type year. You do it between now and opening day. You got two months to do it. If the Braves want to do it, they need to do it now. One of my biggest regrets in my career is is not – I was on a tear going into 2013 and not even approaching the Braves or talking to them. Maybe I would have got three years 12 or three years 15 or something like that, being a pretty good setup man. It's like nobody sent me a thank you for not doing that. You know what I mean? It, my elbow blows up and it, nobody sends you a thank you. Hey, thanks for not signing an extension that costs other guys money. Here's two mil. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Dude, guys like you are now getting three years – I know. At least 25, 20, or 20 to 25, at least. Even if you don't throw 100, you've been doing what you did. Your mindset, you know, is it, I really admire Max for that. But if I was in his shoes, I'm like, give me that guaranteed <laughs> lifetime. I never have to work again contract. And the other guys can figure it out for themselves. They can look at my deal and say, well, he signed for a discount. You know, it, let them figure that out, but get yourself paid for life. Right. I think he could justify it too to the union when you've had the injuries and the and that and you want that peace of mind, man. And again, this is not a guy that came from poverty. <laughs> he came from money. He's had a comfortable life and he's invested well. He's smart. He doesn't need to have the top of the scale. You only do that if you wait till after the year and you have a great year. Then you do it for the union, like you said, as a responsible player 
looking out for other players, you do it. But right now, you do it. You want security right now. If you got a chance to get that security right now, if I'm Max Freed, I'm taking it. Given the blisters, given the Tommy John, the forearm string last year, the fact that he's not a 220-pound guy, he's not a big guy like Wheeler, you know, you don't know how he's going to age. Look at Chris Sale. Chris Sale was a top three pitcher in all of baseball during that run. Top five for sure over that span of seven years where he finished sixth in in the Cy Young, then six straight years of top five Cy Young finishes, seven All-Stars, consecutive All-Stars. He was a top five pitcher in baseball at the time, got that huge contract too. But look how he's aged in the last four years. Little stuff, all these little nagging injuries, freak stuff. You just don't know. I mean, he might get it back this year. You just don't know. But, man, to not have to worry about that. And Chris Hill hasn't had to worry about that. I mean, it's driven crazy because he's so competitive. But at least he's had that money. And if he hadn't signed that big contract when he got to Boston, he'd be on one-year contracts right now the last few years with all the injuries. I have a different perspective having blown out at the absolute worst time ever. But Max has made 24 mil. The difference between making 24 in your career, you know, you have a bad year this year and get paid whatever you get paid. He'd probably make it 10, I don't know, 10 to 15 this year. He's making 15. He's settled. He's at about 40. So he's already set. But the difference between how you're living on 140 versus just that 40, it's a big difference. You can make that up in, in two years, what you've made in your whole career, you know, in the next two seasons after free agency. You know, I I really admire just the balls guys have to push it all the way to free agency with an injury history because I know I would have played it safe. And if it cost me 20 mil total on a contract, whatever, (laughs) like you got 100. Well, thanks for that question, Jason. Uh, I hope we uh, I think it's a valid point that you brought up with the Dodgers and how it could affect things. And, And he's probably looking at the same thing. I'm sure Max is. I'm sure Max is looking at that. He might not be, but his agent is. Oh, yeah. And Max knows what's going on with the Dodgers, too, you know. How do you think uh, Tyler Matzik and Huascari Noah fit into the Braves' plan for 2024? That's from Mark Kane. Well, Matzik fits huge into their plan. I mean, he's going to get every chance to be that guy that he was before. They're, they've got him penciled in. He could be a key setup guy. They have other guys that can fill that role, though. That's the difference is they don't have to push him right from day one. He can ease into it if he needs to, but he's healthy. He's going to be ready from day one. But if it takes him a while to get back up to speed, that's okay, too. They just want him for the stretch drive, for the postseason, you know, for the whole thing. But he's ready. They were able to go cautious with him, and he's had a year and a half to get ready. And there's nothing holding him back. So if he's the old Matzik or even close to that, they have the best bullpen in baseball. With the back end, is loaded. It's a lot like that Phillies bullpen last year, but better command, more consistent guys, really. You hope he's okay. You just want him right by September. Because after that performance he had in the postseason, carried the team to a World Series. Between the two guys, Matzik blew out winning you a World Series. You know, I got pissed and hurt himself. So, Noah's going to have to earn it a lot more. And Matzik's going to be given every opportunity to get right. Matzik paid for that the next year for pitching like he did. He wanted it. And I know he would not change one thing if he could do it all again. He's got, he got that, that for World life. Series ring. He's a hero. He'll never have to buy a beer in Atlanta if he doesn't want to. I mean, that guy was a stud, and he paid for it. Anytime he's having a bad day for the rest of his life, he could pull up that game against the Dodgers, turn his day around. For the rest of his life, he's got that. Right. And he knows more like uh, Kelnick, except without the you know job security, 
Enoa was having an incredible year, if you remember. He, he was also hitting. He was raking. But he's not going to have to worry about that now. But he had a couple of home runs. But remember that how nasty he was? That that slider? Yeah. Throwing hard. So we'll see. They're not counting on him. But he, he's going to have every opportunity to win that fifth spot. And if he pitches his ass off in spring, that's the great thing about this is that fifth spot's wide open. Bryce Elder was an all-star last year, but it is not his spot to lose. He's going to have to come in and win that job because he's got options too. He's got minor league options. So he know it's going to have the chance. Ian Anderson's going to have that chance midseason when he comes back. But uh, Oscar Inoa, if, he, if he's got it, I mean, they've, they've stuck with him. They've let him rehab. They've paid for him to be, you know, on the I.L., He's going to have a chance to show that he can do it again, that he wasn't just a one-year fluke and that he didn't ruin his career by punching a uh, cooler or punching a, a bench. So he'll have a chance. He's one of those guys competing for that fifth spot, and it's going to be like last year. The last What the Braves do now, they don't call it a six-man rotation, but for all intents and purposes, it's a six-man rotation because they got old guys that they want to build in extra rest, guys that have had injuries, guys like Freed that if they want to can get them extra rest, they're going to, because these aren't guys that have pitched 220 innings for five, six, seven, eight years. You know, it's a new game now. So whenever you can give the guys extra rest, they do. And if you got guys with options and you can send them back and forth between AAA, it's a little harder to do that now with 15-day minimum. But uh, they will. They're going to do that this year. So we're going to see. They've used 11 or more starters each of the last couple of years, and they're going to do it again this year. So he's going to get a chance to pitch in the big league level, whether that's coming out of spring training or at midseason, because we're going to have to see Ronaldo Lopez, you know, are they going to really stretch him out and have him start? We'll see. He's going to get a shot. For me, if I'm running it, Elder gets that spot unless somebody blows him out of the water and he has a bad spring. Just because, I mean, he was really good for most of the season. It was great until that start at Tampa, the game before the All-Star break. It was great until that point. And I want to give him a chance to do that again. I think he's earned it where... If somebody has a pretty good spring and he has an okay one, I'm still rolling with him. They know. Snit knows better than anybody that you can't put so much on spring performances. Look at last year. Look at the two rookies that were competing for that fifth spot last year when they sent Elder down to AAA and he started the season on opening day at Gwinnett. They did it last year, but you're not going to see the same situation this year. That You're not going to see Smith uh, – I shouldn't say Smith Sharver because he's pitched at the big league level. He is going to compete for that spot, but you're not going to see Cole Waldrop have a great spring and in the opening day rotation. That's not going to happen. This is from Anson. We've answered this, I think, in more or less. Are the Braves going to actively try and go about 2024 with a different mindset in order to get ready to get to the World Series? Do you think they'll take a different approach or develop a different clubhouse mindset in order to go deeper in the postseason? Or is it really all just luck and how healthy the guys are in September, October? Thanks and love the podcast answer. And I wish that was an easy question to answer, but I think we've answered it in a thousand other words here. Yes, they're very aware that there's some things that they can do individually and as a team to be a little more geared up when the postseason starts if they have to have another break like they did. But a lot of it also is going to come down to stay at having guys healthy. And I think Alex Anthopoulos went out and got that depth to make sure the bullpen is not on fumes this year because even if two of those guys are down, they are still going to have five other studs in that pen. If two or three of those guys go down, they are still loaded. And he's got enough starters that if a couple of them go down, as long as it's not, you know, Strider, they're going to have three starters for that postseason series, I think. I'm pretty confident with the depth that he's added. And Chris Sell could be a huge factor. It's a guy that's pitching the postseason, a guy that's hungry as anybody on that roster. 
and a guy that's going to be really like the it factor we talked about potentially come postseason. So I think they've learned and I think they've added some pieces that could help them avoid the thing, same thing. But are they going to change everything in a clubhouse? No. They've had a great clubhouse. Their clubhouse doesn't need to be changed at all. You just need to go into the postseason maybe with a little bit more of a sense of urgency and hope you're healthy. But as far as 162, they got the best clubhouse in baseball, in my opinion, and the best manager for it. The worst possible mindset you could have is it's just a crapshoot. <laughs> right. You can't. It's out of our hands. Maybe it is. As, as true as that might be, you know, you saw the Diamondbacks make it as far as they did. You cannot possibly, I mean, you have to make your own luck. That has to be the mindset you take on is maybe that's, you know, it's baseball and anything can happen. But if you just say, well, it's a crapshoot, just roll in there and see what happens. That other team was not acting like that. You have to be hungry. Because you come out in game one and think it's a crapshoot. Well, no, you win game one at home and it's not nearly the crapshoot that it was if you lost game one. (laughs) Exactly. The odds are a whole lot better. Love the show. Glad y'all are back. I'm curious how you, Eric, believe the coaching staff changes may impact the players. Can't overstate the impact Wash and EY had on the players. How will the new coaches fill those roles? And do you think we will see an impact on the field or in the clubhouse? You know, some guys talked about that. Uh, I asked several of them. Some other guys asked several of them as well, especially about Wash, obviously, because Wash was more than just the best infield instructor in baseball. He was also a highly motivational guy, motivating the entire team. The pitchers, the the catchers, the outfit, everybody. Wash had a presence about him that you can't duplicate. You can't replicate that. And somebody else can't just step up and go, okay, I'm going to be the Wash on this team now. That was his personality. On the other hand, I asked some guys, do you think you've had enough time around Wash now to learn those lessons? All the infield instruction, obviously, but also just the things he imparted to you, the wisdom. And they said, absolutely. We had five, six, seven, eight years is is what uh, Ozzy said. Seven, eight years he had with Wash. And even though Wash not going to be there, his best buddy is like second father. Definitely hard to, you know, he's a guy that, not just for me, for the whole team, he's, he's amazing on and off the field. They learned so much from Wash that there's, a, there's some veteran guys on this team that can carry that and share that knowledge with other guys. So they're going to miss him. There's no doubt, especially you're in a bad stretch. You're in a miserable day during a rain delay when Wash sat around. Who was that? Matt Olson said one of the best times he's had in baseball in his career was a rain delay in Detroit where they sat in the dugout for an hour and a half or two hours and Wash just told story after story to the guys. Just a, a great baseball presence. Somebody who's been around, he's got all stories. That's the kind of thing you're going to miss. Now, will it affect you on the field in the games? I don't know. All these infielders have worked with him enough now that they're good. It would have affected him a lot more two years ago when Austin Riley was still learning to be a good third baseman. He's a damn good third baseman now. Ozzy's a good second baseman. RC is a real good shortstop. Olsen's worked with Wash with two different teams and has, a, has won a gold glove at first base. So I think they're okay as far as that's concerned. They're just going to miss him sometimes, I think, of the inspirational stuff. Uh, EY, same thing, great personality. But, you know, the outfield instructors, they've got really good outfielders and that they're not going to need that instruction so much. At third base coach, I think Tui Asasopo is going to do a real good job. I think he's learned a lot from Wash, and I think he's going to do a the, – the players all love Tui Asasopo, and I think – Oh, Tui's a great dude. Me and him came up through the minors together. That's what Ozzy said. He actually played with Tui Asasopo at the end of uh, Tui Asasopo's career. He played with him at AAA, and then when he was rehabbing down there. Matt is awesome. We always talked before. Even when I did my rehab, he was down there. So Tui's going to step up and be great. I know that for sure. Wash taught him really well, and he showed it already. 
All the players know him and love him. He's a AAA guy. That's a big deal to get a guy that they're familiar with. How cool is that that they were able to promote two of those three positions to fill from within? I, I think that was a great idea to do it with guys that the guys are familiar. If you have those guys, you can do it with, and they did. Well, it's a good message to send too for future trying to pull in coaches in the future is that you do have a chance to move up into the majors here. I think it's a good thing. And Tui's a great dude. Uh, he'll fit right in. That's what Snit said. As as a guy that didn't get that call for so long, I love the you know that we stayed in from you know two of the three jobs that were available, and and I think that's a you know that's great for your organization when you can do that. Like I say, I spent a lot of years not getting that call. Boy, he had to grind. Yes. He had to grind. He was a, it was a fourth-round pick but got like $2 because he was going to be a quarterback at UW. And had kind of a similar – a lot of pressure, you know, some of the stuff with Kelnick that he was a, he was a big deal. He was a high-ranking prospect and came up short with Seattle and bounced around after that and had to grind for every day he got in the big leagues. And I think any coach you can have on your staff that knows how hard it is and had to work that hard and now he's in the majors again with a major league role – that perseverance is, is just so contagious. Uh, and another guy that everybody who knows him loves him, Tom Goodwin. I think that was a real good hire too. So I had Goody with the Mets. He's a funny guy. He will keep things loose. He knows what it's like, but he's always joking around. So he's going to be the first base coach, which is perfect. You know, That's the kind of guy you want over there at first base. You know, They did a real good job with those hires. And, and you wouldn't expect anything less from Alex. I mean, he's going to make... He hasn't had to replace one coach he hasn't wanted to for so many years. So now that he had a chance, except like a bullpen coach, but now he had a chance to do it with some key guys, he was not going to mess up. So a lot of thought went into this, and they didn't do it, just knee-jerk reaction, name the coach the next day. A lot of thought went into this. They talked to everybody that knew these guys. I think they got a couple of guys that fully understand the Braves' tradition, what it means to play here, the, the whole everything they're looking for, and working under SNIT. That Snit's going to delegate duties, let you do your job, so you better be ready to do the job. And a guy in Tui and Goodwin, who was in the minor league system, Roven guy here, they know the player, the personnel, like the back of their hand. That helps too. So relationships are not going to have to be established at spring training, except for with the new guys, obviously, the new players. So good hires. Uh, we'll see. You're going to miss Wash. There's no doubt. Wash is going to help any team he's with. Wash was helping the Dodgers last year because Freddie took all his, <laughs> his stuff, and, and you see the Dodgers doing it. That's the effect Wash has. I think Wash taught Tui to do all that too with the hitting, with the fungo drills and all that. So I think he's going to be able to pick that up because they're going to they're going to want to keep doing that stuff. This is from Sam Laskowski. Alex has done a great job positioning the Braves for success in the near medium term, but how will they compete in the long term? We already see the trends of free agency price and many clubs out of competition. The Braves are fortunate to have bought some time with club-friendly deals, but I'm worried that these mega deals are killing the sport. How will teams outside the major markets compete? Sam, I understand it might be that might be some perception, but if you look deeper into it, the attendance figures and the number of teams that get in the playoffs with middle payrolls, not the biggest payrolls, defy that. If you look at what the Mets did with the biggest payroll last year, they didn't even make the playoffs, man. They were out of it by the second month of the season. You look at a couple other teams with middle payrolls. The A's for several years were in the bottom third, and they had playoff teams. Could they keep those guys? No. But if you do it smart, like Tampa Bay, they're never in the top half in payroll. Tampa Bay's in the postseason almost every year, it seems like. So it's not ideal, 
but it forces teams to be creative and to think and to not just throw money at a problem and to go outside the box and to do like Alex did, which is people had done it to a smaller extent, but nobody had ever signed up as many players long-term as Alex did. And if you trust your player development, you trust their evaluations of these guys, then you go, all right, we're going to do it. And you just do it, even if no other team has done it. And you sign up these guys to long-term deals like Harris, and you give him $100 million, you know, he can potentially make. And he hadn't even spent three months in the major leagues. That's taking a risk, a big risk, but it's one they thought was a good risk to take, and they're going to, and now they're lo- looking golden because of it. So if you're a Braves fan, you don't have to worry about it because you got the best GM in the business, and he just signed an extension. He's going to be here for <laughs> a long time. And he's going to find a way, and money's not a problem with them. And I just don't think it's a problem with the sport either because with the exception of a team like Oakland, which is a disaster because of their ballpark and a bad owner, there aren't many teams like that, you know? I mean, Pittsburgh's got a beautiful ballpark, and they got a low payroll. They don't compete most years, but it's still not a disaster. And there are more, way more teams that can compete and get into postseason than there are teams that don't have a prayer. Yeah, and I think they've built a, a culture and a, an atmosphere that guys want to stay in, which is probably the biggest part of this whole puzzle. Because if you look at it and you're like, why did all these guys sign? You know, did the Braves get lucky? And then you listen to their interviews and every single one of them says, I want to be here for my whole career. I don't even want to find out what it's like anywhere else. And there's certain teams you play for. You go on the road and, and the Yankees visiting clubhouse has the best food you've had all year. You don't even get anything like it at home. You know, it, stuff like that happens or I've seen a lot of guys leave the angels and, and, and say bad things. There's guys leave Seattle. They say bad things. It's like nobody leaves the Braves and has anything bad to say. So when you're bringing these guys up and they're the happiest they've ever been in their career, they come over from another team and they meet everybody and you build a place that guys want to be, you're more likely to get those extensions. And I think that's one of the strongest things in the Braves' favor that they've done is build that culture and, and make it a place. And it's not it's not surprising that that many guys have signed. I don't know if you can bank on it that the next superstar is going to take that discount deal, but enough guys have. And the family deal, the whole family deal with so many young guys have families now before they're, you know, 28 years old. And that's a huge deal with the Braves. And it is with some other organizations, too. When you're a young guy, especially if you're a free agent, you got a couple of kids, that family thing is a big deal. When you ask around and the players say, oh, yeah, the Braves treat families first class. You got a great family room, daycare for the kids during the games. That's a huge deal for a player. That's one less thing to worry about. And the Braves have a first class with the family thing. They really upgraded when they went to Truist Park and they built a room for them and all this. So. They've covered all the bases, man. They do all the things right, and having some money helps with that. And they've got a lot of money now with the battery and the fans that sold out, sell us that they have. So success breeds money, revenues, and that move to Truist Park helped them do it. So you don't have to worry about your team if you're the Braves. And the sport in general, I don't think there's anything to worry about the sport. I know last year, Bally going bankrupt and all that. People, they'll sort it out. It's going to, it might take a few years before they figure out the TV part of it. But that was just a thing where people got ahead of themselves with that regional sports network thing. And the contracts were so big and over a billion dollars. And it just got too big. But that happens in sports. Like ESPN extended itself too far with the rights fees for football and basketball. And as a result, the cord cutters are costing ESPN and they have to fire a bunch of people and blah, blah, blah. But it sorts itself out. And baseball is doing quite nicely. If you look at the attendance, the revenues, it's never done better. 
Let's just look at what teams get sold for. Like if the Oakland guy wants to sell his team, they're going to move to Vegas. The team might be worth a little over a billion dollars now. They'll move to Vegas and you watch. If he sells the team in six years, he'll get three or four billion, you know? So don't worry about the sport. It'll be fine. There'll be a couple of teams that, uh, you know, even those teams, the worst teams are still making money because of the revenue sharing. So don't feel sorry for the owners. If they're not spending money, it's by choice. That's right. If the player contracts, if they look ridiculous, I mean, the only one to me that looks ridiculous is Otani or when they give a guy in his 30s, that's just stupid to give a pitcher in his mid-30s a huge long contract. But that's just common sense. But as far as the average salaries, no, the more they can get, the better because the owners are not giving those contracts if the owners are not making that money, period. Do you know what the payrolls would look like without that damn luxury tax? Oh, yeah. There'd be some six and $700 million payrolls, and the teams would still be profiting. And teams talk about salary cap. Well, they're not going to ever get a salary cap because the Players Association is not going to allow it. But that has been an effective deterrence, with the exception of the Mets. And the Mets learned they spent all that money and didn't win, so they're not going to be doing that again. But it does keep, like the Braves, you know, this year went over it for the second year in a row, and you get the penalties. So it does keep you at a certain level, you know, because you, you can only make so much money to offset that you know, selling out. And especially now with the regional sports network thing, that bubble has burst. So you're not going to see teams extend themselves beyond what they're comfortable doing. Like they have in the past thinking there's no, there's no end in sight with the revenues you can make with TV. They know now there is an end in sight, you know, cord cutters said, I'm not paying that money for my cable bill that ESPN's trying to pass along or that, that regional sports network's passing along. I'll just do it a la carte. I'm going to buy my TV with what I want to buy. So that changed everything, and uh, I think there is some – Otani is obviously the unicorn. There's not going to be another Otani. There isn't. That does both things. We're not going to see it. <laughs> no. There hasn't been one since Babe Ruth, and I don't think we're going to see Otani do it for more than a couple, three more years. I really don't, but we'll see. All right, that's it. Hey, thanks a lot for all the good questions, everybody. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show and give us great reviews. We really appreciate it. And merch is going to be available on the website real soon. But what do you guys see some of the designs that our great artist in residence has done for us, man? This shit is looks good. T-shirts. We got mugs. I think we're gonna have hoodies. Even some slides, man. Some slippers. Slides. Lots of cool stuff, man. Really good. All right, that's it. Seven fifty-five forever. We are out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.